Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Eckler. Today, we've got Katie Ernst on the show. Katie's an award-winning bassist, vocalist, and composer based in Chicago. Her album, Little Words, premiered at the Kennedy Center in Washington and was based on the poetry of Dorothy Parker. Her work has garnered critical praise from the Chicago Tribune, Jazz's Magazine, and others. Her band, Twin Talk, blends genres living at once in the worlds of improvised music, indie rock, and the avant-garde. I don't know how, if, you know, that's, I came up with that. I don't know if that's, that's how good. you describe it. Love uh, that. She's performed at the Kennedy Center and Chicago Symphony Center with renowned pianist and composer Jason Moran. She's a top call bassist on the Chicago scene. Please welcome to the podcast, Katie Ertz. <sighs> Woo-woo! Hello, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. I'm glad you could do this. We've done it. We've connected. So my earliest uh, my earliest memory of you is is Birch Creek Fine Arts Camp, right? Like I, I was a counselor there, and you were like a high schooler. <laughs> Uh, and at the same camp was like Brian Carter on drums and Adam Larson and Gabe Med. I think Carl Kennedy was there, who's on the Carl scene in Chicago now. Yep. So it's like a, a a really cool group of musicians to be around and coming up with in in high school. Uh, are you keeping? Do you keep in touch with any of them? Do you work with them anymore? Uh, I saw Carl the other week here in Chicago, and yeah, it's kind of a veritable who's who of high school jazz talent that's all grown up. Um, yeah, everybody's yeah. crushing it. I actually still go to Birch Creek every year because I teach there now. So yeah, right. I was going to say, I saw that you're on the faculty uh, there now. That's super cool. And you, you went to Eastman, right? That's like a lot of Eastman faculty. Yeah, so I met, um, so Jeff Campbell, who was my great bass mentor in high school when I'd go to this summer program, um, I just was like trying to follow him wherever he was going. So he said, I teach at the Eastman School of Music. And I said, great, I'd love to follow you there. So that's awesome. I, yeah, that, that summer high school camp was really important for my trajectory, which is great. Yeah, right. And you were a great counselor. You really counseled us all <laughs> counseled. Yeah, yes. I was just hanging around. I was just absorbing. I was absorbing the same knowledge you all you were all absorbing, attending the you master really, classes and yeah. You made sure we got to bed on time. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling little jazz stories for bedtime bedtime stories to the it was students. Beautiful, yeah. And Dizzy Gillespie said, "Good night, all. You all a good night." Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Just like the Christmas story. Uh, cool. Well, hey, I, I've been listening to uh, your music a lot over the last couple of weeks just to kind of get ready for talking with you um and little words i had listened to little words a little bit i think when it came out and um i guess i didn't really realize it was based on poetry by dorothy parker like i didn't really understand mm. the 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 background of it um and since then i've now like i've started to read a bunch of her poems and yeah. um i just i love her stuff it's, it's super cool it's, it's like cheeky and so sort of dark at times it's 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 more you know it's like I, we read a lot of shell silverstein at my house because we've got the kids you know yeah and in some ways like the the pros remind me a bit of shell silverstein who i think was also somebody who existed in like the 30s 40s 50s maybe in terms of writing mm. um it's just it's it was so fascinating for me to to read her work um obviously her work is like a lot more adult than <laughs> shell silverstein sure. stuff is a yeah. joke but she still has that like you're leading up to a punchline kind of feeling to a lot of her poems. Yeah. Um, there's always a twist. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So what, what was your, uh, like why choose Dorothy Parker's work? Uh, did you, were you reading her work, uh, early in your life? Is, is, was she influential, influential on you in that way? 
and like how did those songs kind of come together mm. yeah well i've i've told this story before and it's i'm still uh like mildly ashamed of how not cool of a story it is but um <laughs> So I'd love to say that I, I um, you know, I'm, I'm a great avid reader of Dorothy Parker's poetry, and I decided that I would set her music in uh, great reverence to her art form and blah, blah, blah. But um, I had written a song for jazz composition class at Eastman, mm. um, and it was supposed to be in the style of Wayne Shorter. And... Um, I was getting like okay grades on my compositions that were in the style of other musicians. But this was the one I crushed. I got a B plus on it. I felt really <laughs> good about it. Um, and and I thought that it would be a really, it just felt like a very lyrical song. And I was like, oh, in another life, I would have words for this song and I would sing this song. And um, I, w I hadn't really been writing very much like formal music or anything. So it was just like, oh, some, it would be so cool. So I Googled short poems and like just clicked through poetry.net or whatever and just <laughs> did this horrible, just like, nope, that doesn't work. And I don't know what I was even looking for, but I did find this poem, Anecdote, by Dorothy Parker yep. that just has a nice kind of lilting rhyme scheme and it fit, it just fit this melody that I had written. And I was like, oh, sick. <laughs> found my lyrics. Found one, got um, it. And then I went back and I was like, who is this poet that wrote this great little quippy poem about heartbreak yep. and I was like oh she's genius <laughs> um and if anyone's looking for a really good like uh, breakup kind of like like woe is me but also I'm still strong like Dorothy Parker is your lady she I think she kind of championed the that tongue in cheek kind of like you said quippy strong kind of jabby yep. but clever poem style um yep. that I loved but I also was like I feel like you can see her vulnerability in there too. And that's what I kind of keyed into for this record that um, is called Little Words. Is it just kind of both? Like she both seems very strong, but also very sensitive and vulnerable and all that good stuff. So yeah. that's how I, I Googled short poems and I stumbled upon her. And now I'm a great champion of her of her literary contributions. That's great. So so why you, you did that one song uh and then you decided, this is great, I want to do more, and that's how the record came about? Yeah, well, I did that one song, and I had written another song, and I used those two songs to apply for the Betty Carter Jazz Ahead program. Right, right. Right after I graduated from college, and I got great encouragement to continue um, from the mentors there, because um, I... I had this this feeling that like I didn't write big band charts or mm. arrangements of things, and I, you know, I, like I felt like there was a different category of composer that I didn't fit into. Sure. But then these super cool people were like, "No, if you hear a song, write a song, do your thing." Um, and so then I was like, "Well, you know, there's some other poems I like," and I turned that into a, an album for my big gig at the Kennedy Center. So yeah, so it, it turned it kind of it unfolded into a much bigger project than I had imagined um, at cool. the beginning. Did you once you once you decided you were going to continue using her poetry? Were you writing music first and finding poems that fit to the music, or were you did you eventually go the other way where you were like, "Here is a poem that I like, and mm. now I'm going to write music to it." Some of them feel flowy in that way, like you like you use the lyrics first. Yeah, no, the first song was the only one that was music first and then just kind of it magically fit. But then yeah. I sat with a poem and I would have my bass with me and 
um, just kind of try to figure out what that poem's uh, character and rhythm and kind of the inherent built-in structures of it and how it could fit into a song. Yeah. There's also one song that's kind of rockin' called But Not Forgotten, um, where I borrowed uh, uh, this sample that Dustin Lorenzi made, um, and he had sampled it from a Ligeti piece or something. Anyway, it just had like this cool vibe, and so I said, can I borrow that? And so we co-wrote that one. But uh, cool. but most of them were just the sitting with the poetry book open and trying to find the melody that was in there. Nice. So you you know you play bass and you sing at the same time yes uh you know were you do you feel like you were a vocalist first a bassist first did you did it take you time to decide that you're both of those things uh was there a process you know in the jazz community there's there's a lot of like vocalist kind of attitudes um Mm. and and so like did you do you have you run up against any of that do you did you, you know, did you feel like you were one or the other or like how, how have you identified kind of like through your development? Well, I always sang for fun, you know, for fun. I, I, there was this green light moment where um, I was taking piano lessons in first or second grade and my piano teacher told my mother that I had a pleasant singing voice ah. <laughs> or something. Like, you know how you have to like, they're like sing the song and then, so I think she just, I don't think she was even, it was even like that much of a compliment. It was just like, oh, that she, you know, like she's hitting the pitches or something. Sure. Um, but that was enough for me to feel like, okay, like that, I don't have a complex about it. Like I can sing a song. Yeah. And then um, I started playing bass when I was nine. So they, they kind of were going hand in hand. Um, but I didn't really combine the two probably until Birch Creek, my first time that I was uh, there, I was probably 14. Um, and they asked if someone w- could sing and I was like, uh, I've sung a song, you know? Um, and I sang Skylark and it was really breathy. And, uh, someone told me to just not use a lot of vibrato and it would sound like jazz. So I did that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's um, and then I started putting the two together, but then I guess you, yeah, I guess like, um, when I went to college, I wanted to be a, a serious student of the base. Yeah. Um, and I did it, be, I think because of that baggage of how I saw people talk about singers differently mm-hmm. um, or that it wasn't as, I don't know. Yeah, there was just like a different feeling to when people were talking about singers or like, oh, and, and they sing. Um, and I also think people gravitate towards singing. So it's like if, if given the opportunity, people are going to connect more with my singing because there's words and they could see my face and telling the stories and stuff. Yep. And I was like, but I want to be a bass. Like I, I did make kind of a strong, but I'm a bass player. And I didn't sing like in college, um, like in the school setting. I had this outside life where I was playing tunes and singing at the Strathallen Hotel and at some other places sure. around town. Um, but now I feel very, like, I think I get a lot of calls because I do both things. Yep. Um, the music that I write usually involves both. Sometimes I get called to do one or the other. But it's just, it's almost, I feel like it's like a how you would play flugel or trumpet. You know what I mean? Like um, there's not this pressure to to declare. um, Right, right. To be able to Especially now that you're like an artist. I mean, you're an artist. You're you're out there doing your own thing. As a student, I think we're 
oftentimes railroaded into a certain area and and uh maybe this is a problem with um you know conservatory style education is that like that real uniqueness of of the individual isn't so much championed as like and maybe this is necessary mm. as like you have to learn the language you know what i mean it's like gotta learn the language first and then you could be yourself i don't know like i i know some people that transferred out of lawrence where i went to school because they felt stifled in their own sort of creativity and the mm. way that they approach music and now so the, you know one of those people is now in la he's a very successful composer trumpeter yeah. um so that uh, to me that's an interesting kind of aspect it's tricky i i've had thoughts about this because I, I sometimes pivot where I'm like, eh, you know, like, um, yeah, it could be like, oh, we need to nurture each individual with what they're interested in. But I also feel like there's a certain amount of just like, you have to learn how to commit to some, like, I feel like as a young person, I could have been like, well, I don't have time to really focus on my classical base because I'm trying to do this other thing. You know, I like, I think it, it's, there's this really dangerous territory where you can use a very valid reason to not work hard at things that are hard. <laughs> sure. but you know what I mean? Like, and it, I feel like as an 18 year old, I don't, I don't know what, I didn't know what direction I was going to be in. It's a kind of a time to just like eat everything. Right. Right. And, and, Absorb. and not, and I didn't, I don't think I waited to, like I said, I sang in other, con like I was still pursuing that part of myself. Yeah. But, um, and maybe that just worked for me because that I had both outlets and it was cool. But in some ways I feel like who we are as art people is going to come out in any context, kind of no matter what, like yeah. if, if you let it. Um, so it's tricky because I also think there's like, you know, there's a there's a line to that. Like I think Eastman is just starting a vocal jazz program. Soon. Oh wow! Okay. So, um, which is cool. I'm excited for them. I think that'll be fun. Um, but that wasn't there when I was there, and right. so I just chose a different path. You know, like, but I'm still singing. So I think, yeah, I don't know. I, that's something I have thought about. Where it's like, is it the institution or like it's kind of both? I don't yeah, know. yeah, totally. So you said you started. At nine, did you start on electric then since you were young? Mm -mm, you started I started on, on the, the upright bass. Okay. It wow. was a little quarter size one, and I thought I would grow taller than it, and <laughs> <laughs> they kept giving me bigger ones. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's cool. That's that's really interesting. Uh, th so you did, did classical bass then right away? Was it just like early fundamental classical stuff? When did you start getting into improvised music? I didn't take bass lessons outside of just like playing an orchestra and getting like the orchestra teacher's <laughs> feedback. Um, but I started taking private lessons in high school when I was starting to study jazz. So I studied with this guitarist and bass player who taught me about tunes and bass lines. I learned a lot at Birch Creek and would kind of bring things back. Um, but I really, I think my fundamentals were really built up in college yeah. And this, this incredible classical bass teacher, James Vandemark, I think was, uh, I won't speak for him, but I'll project that he was probably mildly horrified that he had to deal with my <laughs> like level of beginner because I was a jazz bass major and I just couldn't, yeah. I was, you know, I couldn't play the, the bass in the way that his other students were playing. But he got me up yeah. to speed, so I'm really grateful for that. But um, see, that's where I could say like, my younger self would have been like, I don't even care about classical bass. Why right. do I got to study it? But it right. also was like, 
helpful. I don't, you know, I don't know. You can yeah. kind of make anything good or bad, I think. Totally. I got, I mean, I think I got, I had the same, a similar experience, you know, having to study some classical trumpet when really all I wanted to do was study jazz and improvised music, black music. You know, I, I was really kind of, uh, but, but when I dug into the classical stuff and my teacher, I remember at, for one of my recitals, he was like, you're better at classical music than you are at jazz music, you know? And I was like, no. But, <laughs> Dear diary. <laughs> yeah, but it was, uh, you know, it, it definitely helped with technique and, and uh, command of the instrument um, in a way that maybe just purely studying jazz. I think there are some people that are trying to come up with ways of, of practicing jazz music that kind of mimic the, the classical approach. It's maybe a bit more, uh, a bit more regimented. Mm. Um that that maybe then you can get the same physical benefit trumpet and bass too i mean there's such physical instruments it's like if you're yeah. not practicing the technique and the fundamentals uh, at least on trumpet it's like you got to do fundamentals every day mm-hmm. um or you notice you know yeah um so when did you feel like you could freely express yourself on both bass and voice at simultaneously right because it seems to me like a sort of drummers limb independence kind of thing where mm. you know a lot of your music you're sometimes doubling your baseline but a lot of times you're harmonizing or you're playing you're singing something contrapuntal compared to what you're playing yeah uh, when did that become sort of like a i can just do this now i think well it started by playing like walking baselines and singing standards mm. um and i did that a lot just like little high school gigs and college gigs and things and i think by just doing it a lot, I started to develop some of that independence. Um, the, yep. A lot of the singers that I admire do a lot of back phrasing, and so I, the, I would hear the the vocals being you know set a little bit back in the time, and as a bass player, I'm playing in the time, and um, that's probably my coolest party trick. But um, that's such that seems like it would be so difficult. To, to drive forward and lay back against it singing. I don't know, maybe not. Uh, yeah. Once, you, once My, you're doing it. At, at first I was like, man, this is pretty cool. People think it's cool. But then I realized that like all <sighs> good musicians are keeping track of the time and playing with it at the same, you know what I mean? Like when you're soloing, yeah, yeah. like right. you're not just like ignoring the time and backphrasing. You are aware of it and then you're, you know, so it's like, I'm sure. just articulating both, but it's just... You're articulating both, right, which yeah. is another level. I mean, that's a different... I think it's easier, you know? It's like tapping your foot or something, you know? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, it's amazing, and it rocks, and uh, yeah, I, I think I kind of developed it by just doing it a lot um, in real time in front of people at little gigs and stuff. Cool. Um, yeah. I'm curious how... Uh, to go back to the Dorothy Parker record, yeah. Um, did you have to get permission, like, for anybody that's thinking about using lyrics of of, of a poet? Like, did you yes. have to get permission from her estate? How did that work? You do. You always have to get uh, people's blessing on your use of their stuff, um, unless it's public domain. So I, I was nervous because I had already written the songs <laughs> you know like yeah. i feel like i don't usually like check and make sure i can be creative with something before so um there's always a risk but um i looked up the dorothy parker i'm like again googling like wh- who dorothy parker she's way dead like <laughs> who, who do i talk <laughs> who do to? i talk to yeah and um kind of a, a fascinating twist um is that when dorothy parker died she didn't have family or friend like sad thing her biggest fear was dying alone 
um, and she indeed did. Uh, but she had a great life in between here and there. Um, but anyway, she left all of her stuff to Martin Luther King Jr., who she had never met, and he had never met her. Wow. Um, but she was a great uh, social justice advocate um, her whole life. She had a hard time connecting with people on a personal, individual level, but she really deeply cared about like, like the broader human existence and justice yeah. and she was anti-fascist before it was a thing you know um, sure. but uh so she left all of her stuff to martin luther king jr because she wanted to support his work and she also had the kind of creepy foresight to say that in the event of his death all of her stuff should go to the naacp wow which is spooky because she died in the 67 in right 67. Was it that? Or was it 63? I I, I remember thinking like, wow. But she died in like not long. Yeah. There wasn't that much time that Martin Luther King had uh, her stuff. Right. Um, And so then I sent an email to the NAACP saying, hello, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) do you happen to have this like old dead ladies poetry? And how do you feel about this project? Sorry to bother you. Like, yeah <laughs> keep doing your thing um and they were super cool <laughs> it was very reasonable and i got to just write a check to the naacp to use her work instead of okay. to someone's crummy grandson that was gonna right. buy box or something yeah um, so that was cool um and the yeah it was it was basically just like a non-exclusive license to use the poetry and i they have to have a line that says i thank them for their authorization um right but yeah, kind of wild. So it would, I imagine, be much harder if it was just trying to get in contact with someone that wasn't very responsive. But yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's super interesting. Um, NAACP and just having to deal with those kinds of rights things. You know, it's I think as young, especially as young musicians, that's a really tough landscape to navigate. And uh, it's nice to hear your experience with that. Uh, Twin talk. Let's talk a little bit about Twin talk. Um, Twin talk. Twin top. Nah, 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 nah. I've been I've been listening to that like crazy. Uh me and the boys were listening to it this morning. Cool. And we're talking about all the different instruments in the nice. in the music. <laughs> um you know, it Twin Talk is you, it's Andrew Green on drums, it's Dustin Lorenzi on saxophone. Sometimes he's overdubbing a little bit here and there. Uh maybe playing some bass clarinet. Um you recorded Weaver, the new one, in Justin Vernon's studio right in eau claire yes that's right um i know that some of you have wisconsin ties we've been talking about birch creek uh dustin did some touring with bon Iver. was recording at justin's studio just like this obvious choice was there some kind of vibe you were after with recording this album um so dustin yeah dustin toured with bon Iver, and so they all hung out for a long time together and um there, there's this studio. I, I, I don't know what, like, I don't know who said what to who, but, um, but we had the opportunity to kind of just like in kind book some time at this great studio. So, um, yeah. what it did was it helped us to think about how we might use a longer recording time, um, in a way that felt useful instead of just like doing the classic one or two day 
intense recording session and then you just collapse at the end of it. Yep. Um, so it, it let us kind of record more like a rock band or a, not even a rock band because they'll probably be in the studio longer. But like, um, but just to, to have a little more time, not to just get a thousand more takes of everything, but to, we did more layering. There's more, um, a little bit more kind of production side to Weaver than there is to some other of our albums. Yeah. Um, and it was great. I mean, we were, we stayed there, so it was just this immersive thing. Um, and it's made me curious about, uh, you know, the, how we, how we record certain music, you know, like, does it need to be all done in just like a couple takes and then we're done yep. or, you know, like what happens if you take a little bit more time with it or if you have a vision for taking, getting, you know, the bass, the B-A-S-E, the, the bass track and then yeah. building up from it. Um, so it was really using, cool. I was grateful for it. Like yeah. using overdubs more than you would maybe traditionally playing improvised trio music? Yeah, we ended up um, like using the initial take um, where we're improvising. Like we, so Twin Talk's vibe is to really improvise um, with the structures of the songs. So like um, things aren't as, there's a lot of composed material, um, but things can hinge open and pivot and go into different places or transition into other things. Um, so there's a lot of openness to it where it's not like we're, we're playing the same take to get the right one. It's like yep. each one kind of has its own life. Um, so we got, we'd pick one of the ones that we liked of that vibe and then use that as the, okay, this is the take. So does it, what, what does it want or need or can we enhance anything? Um, so it was a cool process. We, I had not done that before, but yeah, you'll hear more layers of things and some extra vocals and, and horn layers that are on there. More right. percussion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that it lives, yeah, it's just like living in the recorded medium instead of trying to just do something that is only replicable in yeah. real life. Yeah. We're just going to pause there for a sec to say that this podcast is brought to you by the Gig Boss app. Jana and I created Gig Boss because we were leading our own groups, freelancing in others, touring, teaching private lessons, and doing freelance education work, all while raising our two boys. We needed a way to keep track of everything. Create a group, create an event, and start organizing the madness. Gig Boss app is free on iOS and Android. So how many days was that then? Uh, how, like how long did you block off to, to be out there? That was five days. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That's like a, that's a chunk of time. Yeah, it's funny for ja for the jazz world, that's like an eternity. And for yep. like other musicians, that's like, okay, <laughs> cool story. <laughs> yeah. It's so true um, though. That is a, that's, that's rare to get that much time. Um, but but I think that that comes across on the record, you know. Yeah. You can hear that some real time was spent uh, after the bass tracks were recorded. You know what I mean? It's like you mm -hmm. can kind of tell production wise. Not that not that it sounds overly produced either. Like it sounds very organic in the way that you guys usually sound. And some of these songs, I think I had heard you play before. So like listening to them on the record. I like I'm like recognizing things, mm. but then hearing extra layers or uh, hearing certain effects. I I think uh, spending that extra time really does make a difference, and uh, and, I, and I really dig uh, what came out of it. Yeah, thanks. I'm proud of that one. Yeah, the tune "Folks" mm. on the record um, seems like this real epic 
masterpiece, right? Maybe one of these examples of like there was a bass track and then uh BASE track and then it yeah. just grows and grows over the you know and then it's like layering voices layering horns um and the beginning of the song actually like I started listening to the beginning of the song and I thought man this has uh I always hate it when people compare my music to other people's music so I'm sorry that I'm going to do this uh <laughs> but I I was like feeling some sort of like happy apple vibes i spent a bunch of time listening to happy apple in the two, early 2000s i know andrew green and i have bonded over that a little bit um can you talk a little bit about how that rec- how that's that particular song came together like, who, who wrote that one folks was written by dustin okay. um and dustin of all of us in terms of like composing always has the most like finished science project. He always wins the award for most complete vision when he brings a song in. Um, So yeah, the the flow of that song kind of starts with like a real kind of sparse, uh, kind of hitchy back beat in there. And um, by the end of it, it's kind of like the whole village is celebrating the coming of spring or something. I don't know. I made this all up. But but yeah, so he so kind of the general sections were created by Dustin, um, and then we make our individual parts from there. I'll, we'll figure out if where if and where vocals fit in, and um, and yeah, it's been this band because it doesn't have a chord, a chordal instrument. We don't have guitar or piano or anything like that. Um, similar to the Happy Apple vibe, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, it it just allows for a lot. There's just a lot more space that you can have inherently, um, but then you have to figure out creative ways of also filling that space. You know, like I'll play more double stop notes or chords sure. on the bass, or the voice and saxophone can kind of fill things out. And yeah, um, so by the end of that song, it's very filled out, especially because we were able to layer things. But even in real time, that's that's kind of the that's the goal and yeah happy apple super cool yeah yeah cool i you know i spent a little bit of time studying like the cordless quartet with uh, jerry mulligan and and chet baker and uh you know they were very intentional about writing chord tones a lot in parts or mm-hmm. like having somebody cover chord tones are you thinking theoretically in that way or is it a bit more organic in terms of how you're coming up with your parts are you just like this is a cool contrapuntal line this fills in the harmony i don't really know what or how but it sounds cool uh, like on on a scale of one to nerd where are you guys at in terms mm-hmm. of uh, thinking about I'm, harmony? Thi- I'm thinking through things here um i think dustin and i both write pretty contrapuntally like the, the relationship between the bass and the melody is very considered um, and then the harmony is uh, just kind of filled in from there, right? Yeah. Like, like it, it can live on its own without any inner inner support. Um, yeah. But then I'm thinking of some of the layers that we added in folks, um, just to pick one. Um, some of the the oohs and ahs are just filling out the chord and right. helping the support the harmony. So um, strong emphasis on on contrapuntal relationships, but. Uh, yeah. A deep, reverent nod to harmonic clarity. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly said. Thank uh, you. So you, it seems like you do a lot, like you, you seem to win a lot of awards. You're like traveling. You you did a thing uh, in Mexico City, right, in 2020, where you went down and did like, <laughs> like an exchange. Is that like true? Right at the beginning of COVID-19's uh, disaster. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can't believe we did this. But um, 
It was, Twin Talk was on tour going from Chicago out east, and we were hitting, like, we were in New York City, we were in Philly, we were in Baltimore, we were, like, it was, it was as the dominoes were starting to fall. Like, we were starting, everybody was learning, like, oh, there's a thing, it could be bad, is it really bad, we don't know, it's fine, wash your hands, there was no hand sanitizer. And we're, like, on tour during this whole time. And at the end of this tour, I was going to fly from Philly to Mexico City to do this Chicago Ciudad de Mexico Mexico, uh, exchange for improvised musicians. It was super cool. I was excited to do it, but it was like getting weird. And I I wasn't sure if it was even going to happen. And then they said, it's happening. We're doing it. So I flew to Mexico City right at the beginning of the pandemic um, and just was like, hey, guys, I was on tour. So like, I won't give you like a hug or anything. I'll just wave at you. You know, like we just didn't know what was happening. Yeah. Um, but it happened, and we got back. Like, um, do you remember the day that like everybody from Europe came back to O'Hare Airport? Maybe this is just a local story, but it was <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I came home the next day, so it was a ghost town. No one was at O'Hare. It was so wow. Spooky. Yeah. Um, so you so all, it's just, like you almost got stuck in Mexico. Maybe I mean, like, I mean, when, when did they stop flying know. people? Yeah. Shortly after that, I would think. Yeah, it was in hindsight insane, and I am. Um, not a risk taker. So it was just like, I guess if everyone else is doing it, I'll just, I guess we're doing yeah. it. It was well, awesome. You, you don't know what you don't know until you know yeah. what you don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know. So, um, but yeah, so that was really cool. Um, I think someday the musicians in Mexico are going to come up to Chicago and we'll complete the exchange. Um, right. But, um, but it was really cool. What did you, so what, yeah. what did you do? Like, who did you, what kind of people were you working with? Students? Were they adults? It was, um, just all uh, uh, adult improvising professional musicians that um, basically it was like like the like free improvised music scene in both worlds. Cool. Where we they had representatives from both places, and so we would be put in different configurations, and we played a bunch of different shows around Mexico City, and it was super cool. Yeah. Ate some good food and met people and. It was great. It was really cool. Cool to hear um, kind of the vibe of a different city's improvised music scene. Um, I think yeah. a little bit, there's like a more, um, more of like a, uh, like a, not a metal, but like there's more of like a, like a more like rocking edge to the Mexico City improvisers. Sure. Um, and that it was super fun and um, makes you play differently. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it was super cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, doesn't matter. Anyways, it was great. <laughs> I spent some time down there with, with Clouser, Todd Clouser, way back in the day, 2000, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. And uh, I just really loved it. I, I loved being in Mexico City. And I went to some jam sessions and met a bunch of people there. But ha- uh, most of the band is from, uh, some of the bands from Mexico City, some of the bands from Argentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was like the only non-spanish speaking person in the band so it's like they were mm. just speaking spanish all the time and i was riding around in the van for hours and hours just nodding along absorbing yeah. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> listening to music trying to figure it out but yeah, yeah what a beautiful country i you know I'm, i remember there when i went down there people were like be careful it's scary or whatever and i just felt like it was so beautiful and the people were so beautiful and i actually called jana and i was like we should move down here it's so great yeah. you know uh <laughs> but i know pollution is high in uh you know th- at that time it people were there were even some people wearing masks there at that time. I mean, mm. It was like 2010, 2011, 2012. Um, 
because of the you know pollution rates down there. I don't know if it's gotten better, yeah. but you know, uh, every city has its joys and sorrows. But yeah, no it was doubt a cool about spot. it. Everyone no should doubt go. About it. So, are you? You know, I think a lot about uh, passive income, how musicians and artists are making it in today's economy. That's part of the reason for doing this podcast. Um, are you applying for grants a lot? Like, what's your approach to getting funding for creative projects? Um, do you think about monetizing your work in any way? Are you thinking about Spotify? Are you thinking about um, the, the sort of like the mainstream ways of trying to... Uh, trying to make money on your music are you licensing things are you doing anything in that realm uh or is it just are you working on grants or, and things like that well so i live in chicago and there's a pretty cool ecosystem here for making music and um so i um i'll just give you a little summary of my life yeah, be awesome. Um, I am the jazz ensemble director at Wheaton College. Um, I've been doing that for about eight years, which is wild. Yeah, um, that's a long time. So I'm the, uh, the the quirky jazz ensemble director there, and um, I am the director of music at a at a church in Winnetka. Um, so I pick songs and go to a staff meeting and. Uh, write music for uh, the Sunday worship service, and that's super fun. Cool. Um, and I play in other people's bands, and I write music and record music, and um, we'll do some more regional touring and things like that. But um, I've, I have kind of found in Chicago a really uh, just kind of uh, abundant ecosystem, I guess, is the only thing I can think of calling it. Yeah. Um, where there's opportunities to play lots of different music and to um, be actively doing stuff um, without too much like considered hustle, I guess. Um, I've also lived sure. here for 10 years, so I think that might also be some of the, um, the ease that I'm talking about is just having been part of a community for a while. Um, and so but, it, takes time to, it takes time to get calls. Yeah, or to to, um, to be to I, get connected, to be um, to to know people and be known to be uh, to establish yourself as a a contributor to the community. Yeah, um, and I play at a weekly jam session with the drummer Ted Sirota mm -hmm. over at the Hungry Brain, and that's been a great way of. Me, being able to meet the younger musicians that are moving to town now um, yeah. and staying kind of like present in the the next <laughs> the next scene that's coming up. Um, but the I guess if you I'm sure you've checked out my very active Instagram account <laughs> um, and my uh, my uh, very desolate YouTube channel. but um, I th I think I, at least from for where I am and what I'm doing, um, there's a lot of things happening in my local space that the the internet space is is more of an afterthought for me. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and I, um, yeah, and I, but I'm also not like anti anything. I think there all of those things are good tools that can be used when you need them or want them. Sure. Um, 
but yeah, I feel like I'm not a I'm not a particularly savvy uh, internet user or like plat yeah platform user yeah um, but I am a really active like like community participant or something yeah. like that yeah um, which has been really fun for me I think I have a a nice setup over here. Yeah, that's awesome. I, and I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat and uh and it's good for listeners to hear about somebody that's that's not focused on building an internet presence and that's focused on building a in-person presence, right? <laughs> a community yeah. presence. Uh because that doesn't the internet presence doesn't always translate to an in-person presence, you know. It's like I've talked to people who have millions and millions of streams on Spotify and can't sell tickets to a show, you know. And so there's there's that element um as well and you know it's like you could also think of the internet like its own community and you have your local community in chicago uh i certainly felt that way about being on the scene in minneapolis for a decade feeling like i'm a part of this thing and you know we're in this together and we're like you're saying you know each one of us is contributing to the scene in a different way and uh there's a lot of lifting each other up. I felt that way, especially with, as McNally Smith College closed where I was working. It's like people really, you know, other musicians, community members really rallied around the musicians in town. Uh, so I think it's a beautiful thing to be a part of a scene, to really be a part of a scene in real life, mm -hmm. um, apart from the internets. Yeah. What's uh, what's your free like? balancing between freelancing and creative work how much are you playing in other people's bands and how much are you doing your own stuff in addition to you know the other teaching and work that you're doing um ba -ba 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 -bum. i i mean twin talk has been rehearsing on mondays <laughs> yeah cool. Uh, for a while now we got a show coming up so we're getting stuff ready for that um and I, uh, I, I, I'm not sure what the percentages are, um, but I, I feel like the projects that I'm involved with now um, are the ones that are I'm, I'm interested in and committed to and um, yeah, sound yeah. fun for me. Um, there's, a, I think, a certain clarity that you get from the great timeout that was the last two years. Yeah, <laughs> um, sure. Where... Um, I maybe think about, um, yeah, just what, what seems like it is a good fit for my skill set or what my, whatever kind of, am I, would I be a good contributor to this project? Sure. Um, and, and, and I'm super cool with passing it on if it's something that would be better suited for someone else. Okay. Um, so I, I think that is probably one of my newfound activities is being selective or being, you know, like thoughtful about, um, what I do so that I'm doing things that are, are, um, exciting and I'm a good fit for, you know, like I think yeah. that, uh, yeah, that might be kind of, so I, I think I'm, I'm stumbling out of like, I, well, I think that all the projects that I'm involved in, I feel creatively invested in. That's cool. Um, so whether my name is on it or someone else's name is on it, there's, uh, they're kind of in the same category. Yeah. Um, and because of my, um, my adjunct position and um, my church job, um, there's enough uh, like the consistency that um, I can kind of hone in on a certain 
type of music making now, which yeah, is Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I think a lot of instrumentalists, uh, maybe especially in the jazz world, I mean, it's like when we start out, it's just like, yes, 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 yes. You know, just playing every single gig you can find. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt myself doing the same thing over 10 years, sort of like channeling my energy into projects that I really cared about, uh, whether I was there as a side person or or as the leader. It's like the majority of the projects that I did especially late in my time in Minneapolis and now are just my own things or things that I'm invested in. So I think that's a really cool place to be at as an artist. Um, Mm -hmm. And for young musicians that are starting out, it's like you can start to think about how can I carve out my own things in this madness, you know? Mm. Yeah. And I, I was, I'm, cause I feel like I am very much a product of somebody that has like, I absolutely am the yes person that's done. I've done a, boatload of different things and I said yes to everything for a long time and I'm thrilled at how that has informed my life and um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in trying things so that you know whether or not they interest you you know what I mean like like I think I I get very hesitant to be to encourage the like, just do only do what you want to do too early or something. Just out of like, how do you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, totally. Um, and but at some point, and maybe this is like, you know, having the amount of space between being the fresh out of college, eg yes, absolutely. Um, and now it's like at some point you should start noticing the things that don't sound fun. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, like there are certain things where it's like that, maybe that would be fun for someone or that like sounds fancy or it sounds (laughs) like you should want to do it, but it doesn't sound fun to you. Then just notice that, (laughs) you know, like, um, because it's hard. I think it's a hard thing to, to, to be able to put your finger on exactly what it is that you want to do because the world is so big and nothing is what you plan for it to be and blah, all mm-hmm. that, you know, like, but, yeah. but there's a lot of clarity in knowing what you, that, that what doesn't speak to you, you know, like, mm-hmm. like if it's like, Oh, I could go on tour for three months with this indie band. That should be fun. Right. Like that's, that's something that sounds like, like going on tour, we're going to be hitting the road and we're going to be trout. Like, but that might not sound very fun. Like, that's not fun for me at this moment. <laughs> sure, yeah. And, um, and that would put a, a wrench in a lot of other things where it's like, mm, there's someone else for this. That would That's like, that's what would just make their heart sing. Um, right, right. And, and I don't need to know what I'd rather do, <laughs> but it's, it's helpful yeah. to know what doesn't sound fun, even though it's supposed to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, you know, I get a lot of joy from getting a call and then – being like, you know who you should call. Yeah. You know, it's like and and passing the work to people that are that are still building their their career in the scene, you know. Totally. Like, I get a lot of joy from that. And I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a cool thing about about the music industry. Um that you can that you can start to pass work to people and lift you know, like I mentioned, lifting each other up. I think that's such a big uh big part of the music industry that's that's really cool. It could be the other way too, but uh but I think there's a lot of people that are looking out for each other. Um, yeah. So you you mentioned that Twin Talks rehearsing every Monday. Uh, just to wrap it up, like what what do you have coming up? What are you working on? What can we expect to see in the future? 
Well, um, I am going to be ducking away from society, which seems insane right now, but I am doing a, a composing residency at the, at the Ragdale Foundation. Cool. Um, and so I'm going to spend 18 days alone and creating new work. That's awesome. Um, Is that a grant you applied for? Um, it's a, a residency you can apply for. Oh, okay. So, um, I was, I was granted access to this great opportunity. Nice. Um, and, uh, a duo project I have called Wayfaring is getting resurrected, um, in a week. Um, Seattle clarinetist and improviser James Falzone is coming to Chicago. Um, we started a band, a couple years ago, and then he moved to be the director of Cornish College music program. And so he's coming into town. We're going to play at Constellation. That's going to be fun. Cool. Um, we're going to make a record in the fall. I think Twin Talk's probably going to make a record in the next sometime soon-ish. We're kind of due for our next one. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, uh, yeah, there's just... Um, I've been making a solo set that's going to get recorded. I've recorded a jazz standards record that'll come to life someday. Cool. Um, so I've got, yeah, kind of a lot of things coming up and um, in, the, in the pipeline. So uh, I'm ready to get back in it, which will be great. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to hear all that stuff. We'll link uh, all your stuff in the show notes for people listening. Thanks so much for talking to me. Thanks, Adam. I this appreciate it. an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, awesome. Likewise. All right. Well, we'll be in touch. I'll uh, hopefully see you sometime in Chicago. I'll, I'll be coming down a little more often, I think. Great. Love now it. Now that I'm up here in the UP. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.